This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, Flyer fans? Last episode coming to you before the A-10 tournament takes place in D.C. this coming weekend. Recorded this one on March 7th, and I just wanted to give a special shout-out to those who have kept the program alive all year long, keeping our lights on. Two people specifically, first off, Trisha Reynolds and Lori Lyons. Yes, the Lyons and Reynolds team at Heritage Hill Realty has kept our lights on all year round, and they have sponsored every episode that have come to you this season. I want to say a special thank you to their team. If you are looking for a home in Southwest Ohio, please look no further than the experts at Heritage Hill Realty. They are realtors you can rely on, and I've been echoing that sentiment all year long. Additionally, want to shout out my man, George Thielen at Mobile Used Car Inspections. You remember the read, don't you? You need a pre-purchase inspection when you're buying a used vehicle or you need a qualified automotive appraisal for any insurance or legal purpose, you reach out to George at mobileusedcarinspections.com and he's got you. Or simply call 937-671-0768. Yes, Heritage Hill Realty and my man George at Mobile Used Car Inspections have kept the lights on at Talking Out Loud. And so let's spin it around one more time. Got Larry Hansian coming up. Last episode for the A-10 tournament starts right now. Shot up at the buzzer, it's good! Brooks Hall! The place hits it at the buzzer, the Dayton Flyers! Pandemonium in the Dayton Decibel Dungeon! Sanford cracks all the way up. This is one of the great college basketball venues in the nation. UD Arena. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball. Always wearing red and being loud. Welcome back to Talking Out Loud. Still, if I have to remind you, then you don't know the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball. I'm your host, Sully, joined by a special guest who you could say opened up the season and is closing out the regular season. It felt apt and it felt uh, appropriate to have him on the show once again. Me and uh, Larry, of course, voice of the Flyers, Larry Hansigan, my guest here joining me now. And we were laughing before we came on because I said, 
boy, it's been a long season of podcasts and you go from November to March. And then I quickly corrected myself and I said, Larry, the first time that we caught up, it was still warm out. It had to be August or September. So here we are all the way at the end of the marathon. And it's great to have you back. Yeah, it's just been a marathon that at times has felt like a sprint, though. <laughs> so I know. It's, uh, I, I, I don't know. Just it, it, this season has had a unique feel to it. Let's let's just say that it has. But I I have to um, I have to recall go all the way back to when we talked, and I I remember the episode um, very specifically because I just happened to be on the road that day in, in Nebraska. And I was like, how am I going to record? And so I, I sat in the front seat of my car and, you know, clicked the record button and, and we, uh, we did the episode, but, you know, I remember the one thing that you said, uh, when the season started and it had to do with the, uh, unpredictability of, of live sports. And boy, did you ever hit the nail on the head? I bet you didn't think you were going to hit the nail on the head quite that much this season, Larry. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, trust me, Sully, I, I thought about, because what I had told you is I thought this team had just as good a chance of beating Kansas as it did of losing to Alabama State. <laughs> now I got half of that right, because yes, in fact, they did beat Kansas, but uh, it wasn't Alabama State. It was uh, it was Lipscomb, it was Austin P, and it was uh, uh, UMass Lowell that, uh, that, you know, they, you know, were, <laughs> that, that's kind of the unpredictability was what I predicted. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's exactly what it ended up being. Um, as we, uh, head into a 10 tournament week, recapping for listeners, flyers get the two seed after a crazy game on Saturday, uh, flyers take down Davidson. And I won't say comfortably cause that was a back and forth game. Uh, but the flyers uh, come away with a win over the wildcats final score, 82 76. Uh, I wanted to start there, Larry, before we, we move on to the, the pressing matters that await us here this weekend. And um, I had mentioned before he went on, and I think I had made a, a little bit of umbrage on Twitter about it, but um, the the game on Saturday felt like it was a raucous environment inside the building. But unfortunately, if you watch the game on USA, you really wouldn't know it because the sound was so poor that when I went back to watch the game on Sunday morning, I actually thought that the USA crew had not traveled to Dayton and I was quickly reminded by the masses that they actually were right there on press row recording the game. But my God, you wouldn't know it. Uh, the sound was grainy. The crowd noise was non-existent. And it really did feel like they were recording uh, the broadcast from a bunker hundreds of miles away from from Dayton, Ohio. So set the record straight for everybody out there. And, and of course, all those who were in attendance, my parents uh, were uh, were included in that group. But set the record straight on what a great environment it was to close out the season for these Flyers. Yeah, it, it was pheno- phenomenal. And, you know, it, it, it was a hard act to follow, if you will, um, the environment at, at the end uh, of the 20 season. Um, yeah. When Dayton closed out that amazing, uh, perfect year in the A-10 with the win over George Washington. But it, it was close. Uh, it was close, and you know, it didn't ha- have the celebration afterwards, of course. But um, I-, I knew something was special, Sully, when I, I got there at ten uh, thirty, and um, you know, the doors were, of course, weren't open yet. Um, mm-hmm. The students were lined uh, all the way from where uh, they enter on the um, on the north side. Uh, the line was all the way back to the football locker room, which is you know, kind of behind the arena. Um, yeah. on the on the west side and that was you know that was 
that was noteworthy. Mm-hmm. But what was even more surprising was that prior to that, as I drove in, um, the non-student fans were lined up outside the building waiting to get in. So there was right. a, an air of anticipation before the game even started. The, the student section was full and making noise an hour before tip-off. And, um, you know, and it just had that, you know, with the ebb and flow of the game, you know, the crowd was was right there with it. And, uh, you know, you, you, you've got this young team that they really feed off of that. They feed off of it, and they in turn try to stoke it. I mean, um, Deron Holmes did everything but grab some pom-poms and, and leave cheers. I mean, uh, he got the crowd fired up. And, you know, it was a great atmosphere. And, you know, here's the thing. It was just a great college basketball game. And, um, I, I, you know, we always said during the – during the football season, they talk about, you know, teams passing the eyeball test. And as the committee watches a lot of games to see if they pass the eyeball test, I hope that there was somebody, uh, despite the poor sound quality of the broadcast, that watched that game that's on the selection committee because what they saw were two NCAA caliber teams. Yeah, I think it, at this point um... – it's hard to argue that just what we're seeing on the floor, right? Uh, if you go back and look at the resume, that's when you can make the argument, hey, you know, here's why Dayton might not belong in the field. If uh, if that's the argument you want to make here on uh, March 7th, the day we're recording, that's fine. I understand it. We've talked about the resume at length and how the, the Flyers have stumbled in some of their opportunities to get those quality wins. But I think that point's well taken, Larry, and, and I think that that's a lot of times – why we have these discussions with the uh, the Lenardis and the Jerry Palms, the the guys that do the brackets, because a lot of times you know, they they look at the the metrics, they look at the net, they look at Ken Palm. Um, you you look at your quadrant wins, but at the end of the day, if you did watch that last game, um, Davidson and Dayton, and of course now they're the number one and number two seeds after VCU got beat by St. Louis on Saturday. It's it'd be impossible to make an argument that these aren't the two best teams in the conference and two teams that are worthy to get in the tournament. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't do a preamble here on the show today because I think that right now uh, I wanted to jump right into it. Number one, but where I was going to go with it, had I recorded a preamble, was that right now the Flyers at large hopes kind of depends on what you believe. Um, I think Joe Lenardi has been very bullish on them, still has them in the next four out. Um, if you go look at the bracket matrix, there's only about eight guys that do brackets that have them in the field out of that 123. So again, it kind of just depends on who do you believe? I know Jerry Palm today had him about the 10th team out of the field. Um, but like you said, if you watch that game on Saturday and if you've been paying attention to Dayton over the last, oh, I don't know, since January started, I mean, it's hard to make a case against them not being a tournament caliber team. And then you could even go as far as say, well, they, they lost LaSalle at the end of February. Well, Kamara wasn't playing in that game. Um, now, I know that it's hard to make that kind of argument this time of year. And VCU fans are making the same argument uh, because Vince Williams wasn't a part of their team when they had taken a couple of, uh, of bad losses in the conference. But um, you know, I, I'll echo your sentiment. As far as what you're seeing on the court right now, um, boy, this team's really improved a ton since, uh, I mean, even since the start of the year, right? Yeah. And, you know, like you say, there's different bracketologists out there, but, uh, you know, uh, Joe Lenardi is kind of the original one. But I think what people forget is that what Joe does is Joe does not 
try to determine who deserves to be the in the NCAA tournament, what Joe does is he studies the committee. He studies the committee and its selections and uh, what it has done in the past and uses that as a prediction. It was a hobby for him. And then lo and behold, it became, you know, kind of a, of a side hustle that's a, a pretty significant one. But, mm-hmm. you know, you know, people, <laughs> people get mad at Joe. And, and you forget, Joe is not saying, I think these teams should be in. He's that he is saying, I think the committee is going to go this way. He's predict, you know, he's not predicting, he's not uh, passing judgment on the teams themselves. He is trying to predict the, um, you know, what the committee might do based upon past behaviors. Yeah, he takes into account the historical precedence and the formula that was present in past seasons to make, uh, let's call it an educated guess on what's going to happen moving forward, right? Um, yeah. But you're absolutely right. If you ever look at, he puts that sheet out on Twitter uh, just about every day at this point, and it says, here's who's up, here's who's down. Oh, his mentions are just an absolute tire fire. And my favorite ones are the fans that take extreme umbrage with their seedings. They're like, Joe, you're an effing idiot if you think Tennessee is a four and not a two or like whatever it is. You know, I always get a huge kick out of that because it's just like, if that's really what you're arguing about, um, th- those are um, those are some penthouse problems. <laughs> you know, like what what is our seating going to be? I-, I think here in Dayton, you know, we we'd be perfectly happy with just getting into the tournament. Um, but I-, I actually wanted to s- see where you sat on this, Larry, because I'm back and forth on this one just about every day at this point. Is that if I look at if Dayton's resume and, and I'm going to take it as uh, just subjectively as I can, I think that they're pro- they're probably about the fourth to sixth team out of the field. Like if I had to say, I think Lenardi has in the third team out. Again, I you know, I outlined some of the other bracket guys where they have them. But I think about when you get down into that room, and this is, of course, not taking into account whatever happens this coming weekend, there's kind of two ways this can go for Dayton. They can get right there on the cut line. And the committee can go, well, they got those bad losses. It'll be easy to justify throwing them out. But on the flip side, they could go, hey, if we put Dayton in the tournament, they're going to have that home game again. And we could put them against, oh, I don't know, like a Xavier if we're really getting crazy. But let's just say that, hey, we could give Dayton a home game playing that first four. And we know as well as anybody that the NCAA loves making money. And there's nothing that's going to make them more money or get more eyeballs on the first four than Dayton playing a home game. Where do you stand on that line of logic? Like I'm just, I'm 50, 50 right now on it. Yeah. I, I really think, um, I don't think they would do that. Uh, I really don't just because uh, they, they, they caught considerable grief when that happened in 2015 and Dayton ended up playing Boise state at the arena. Um, Rightfully I, so. Know, I, you know. I, I, I just think, you know, I, I think they probably want to avoid that at all costs. You know, there's, you know, I, I think things that Dayton has going for them. Uh, well, well, first of all, they've got to win. Okay. They've got to win. Yeah. They've got to win Friday. They've got to win Saturday. They've got to be playing on Sunday, I think. Yep. And absolutely. I think if they're playing on Sunday um, and hope, I mean, if they're, I, I see a scenario if Dayton is playing Davidson on Sunday, they're both in. They'll both, they're both in, uh, and they'll be seated and slotted before that game even ends. The committee you know, will just say, all yeah. right, they're in. 
um, we'll make Dayton, a, you know, we'll make Dayton an 11 seed and we'll make Davidson a nine seed or whatever. Okay. Um, if they're both playing on Sunday, that that's just my opinion. Um, you know, the, the thing is, because I think playing on Sunday, um, I, I think that there's, I mean, the, the committee's human beings. And, and I think that the, that the human nature is, boy, boy, if we can get this bracket kind of put together before some of these Sunday games even end, that'd be a whole lot better. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I, I think, you know, that would make it kind of easy for, for the committee to just say, all right, two best teams in that league, uh, two good teams. They've both got quality wins outside of conference. Uh, they have, um, they've stepped on their foot, you know, a couple times, but no, we'll put them both in. And regardless of who gets the automatic, the other one will get an at-large, you know, and uh, I think that makes it, but I, but I almost think that that has to happen. I, I think that if for some reason, um, even if Dayton were to get to Sunday, but they're playing, for lack of a better term, a bid-stealing team uh, like St. Bonaventure, mm-hmm. then they got to win that game. Yep. You know, as uh, as the bracket shook out um, this past weekend, you know, into Sunday, I kind of found myself feeling the same way because fortunately or unfortunately, the game on Friday isn't going to do a lick of difference for Dayton one way or another. It's just a must win game. They got to go take care of business because that's going to be George Washington or UMass. You know, we're all pretty well versed on how how good those teams are or not good in, in this particular case. So then. You're looking at a Saturday game, which is going to be a rematch uh, against Richmond, who we just saw, or the third time around against VCU. And VCU is playing for their tournament life as well. So with them kind of hovering around the same bubble that Dayton is, uh, I, I tried to figure out how this is going to shake out. And I tend to agree, because if you beat VCU on Saturday, they'll get a bump. It won't be significant, but it'll be a bump. Um, but again, the problem is going to be who are they playing on Sunday? And I think you're spot on. If they end up playing date or Davidson on Sunday, that might be a strong enough game for both of them to say, Hey, you know, both of these teams, they were one and two in the conference. They played a tight game at Dayton, regardless of the outcome in DC, we're going to put them both in. So I I do, I, I kind of tend to lean towards you, but I got to be honest with you about two weeks ago, I was not feeling this way because I had. I had really kind of resigned myself to the fact after that LaSalle loss that Dayton was going to be dead and buried on their at-large hopes. But, uh, you know, I think this is one of those years where the computer metrics have actually done Dayton a ton of favors. And it all started with that game where they beat VCU by 30. And and I think one of the main reasons for that wasn't so much that they beat VCU by 30. It was that VCU still to this day has the number four defense in the entire country and they beat them by 30. From an on-the-court standpoint, do you also feel like that was kind of one of those games that started to galvanize their run? I mean, I understand they went to St. Louis that following week, and they lost, and Chaffetz, you know, I was there with you. Like, you know, that game was tough. But it really does feel like that kind of set the groundwork for this team to rattle off some wins and get into this discussion, right? I think they they really... um maybe solidified their identity in that game. Um, you know, it had been developing, but I think they really did kind of solidify who they were as a team defensively and, and sharing the ball and, and doing those types of things. And, um, you know, playing well with a lead. I mean, this was a – there's been so many 
different uh, variations of this team uh, through the year. Uh, the early November, and then the Orlando, and then what happened in December, and then you know, in one of the things that young teams um, struggle with at times is is um, playing with a lead. Yeah. And what was impressive was that they came out after going up fifteen in the first half. They just won the second half by fifteen as well, and they just you <laughs> yeah. know stepped on their throat. And uh, to me, that was a, that was a positive sign of progress and and maturation and in. You know, learning how to play with prosperity for young teams can be even harder than playing through adversity. Yeah, yeah, that point's well taken. Um, as far as the, the checkpoints go this season, I mean, after that one and three start, you, before you, you head out with the team to go to that Thanksgiving tournament, where were you at on this team? You know, were you still steadfast that they were going to turn it around? I know, you know, my opinion is pretty well spoken for on this program. I was like, man, I, I think this team stinks and they're going to have an uphill battle to turn it around. And sure enough, you know, three days later, we were having a completely different conversation about this team. And I remember I was listening to you and I think it was Keith in um, we did the Austin P game. And I remember the tone in Keith's voice was just absolute disbelief. And, and I, I was curious where you were at after that one and three start, of course, not knowing what we know now, but where were you at after one and three? Well, I, you know, I, I think the disbelief uh, came from two different uh, places. First of all, um, you know, the, the disappointment part of losing a bye game, <laughs> you know, a game that, yeah. you know, it's a bye game that you're just, you're supposed to win. The that was the disappointment part of the disbelief, but the belief part of the of the disbelief was that these guys are better than this. Mm -hmm. What happened? Um, and uh, did I predict? Well, I, I did not at that time think uh, after the one three start that they would finish the year twenty two and nine. Although <laughs> um, yeah. Doctor Steve Levitt, who's a big Dayton booster, and I every year we make a, a preseason uh, wager. Uh, lunch. The winner buys lunch, and we just pick the the, the final the final record. Mm -hmm. You know, we just go through each game and we say win loss win loss win loss. We pick the final record, and my and my uh, my prediction this year was twenty two and nine. Oh, there you go. But that was <laughs> you know, that was before UIC, so that was before the season even began. So yeah. uh, did I think uh, after the one and three start that my twenty two and nine was solid? No, I didn't. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> But I also didn't fair, think that, fair in that I didn't, but I didn't think that team was going to play like it did in those previous three games. And, yeah. you know, a lot of things happened then moving forward. Um, you know, some that the, some was right there that the fans could see. And that was the, you know, kind of giving the keys to the car to uh, Malachi Smith and turning him loose. Um, obviously, you know, getting after it defensively, creating uh, pressure on defense, which, you know, it, it allowed a team that didn't maybe basketball IQ wise wasn't quite there yet. Um, you know, like in football, if you got a defensive player that doesn't know his assignments, you just tell him blitz, you know, just <laughs> run to the ball, you know, just yeah. run to the ball. Well, I mean, he kind of, they kind of did that, kind of just said, okay, just get after him. And, but that was not to say that they were going to stop the learning process, stop the teaching process. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it bought them the time to do just that. And um, 
the intensity level of practices uh, picked up uh, right after that Austin P game. Um, they had been, the practices had been largely instructional sessions, you know, trying to show guys where to be, what to do and, you know, everything. And the practices then became very, uh, um, you know, just, just up tempo and just getting after it, high energy practices, coaches, players, everybody, you know, it wasn't screaming and yelling and cursing. It was just getting after it and really, uh, amping things up. And, um, so I, I, you know, I think that that, um, and then, you know, the, you know, the, just, you know, giving the keys to the car to, to Malachi say, Hey, you're the guy, you know, take, take control of this team on the floor. And he did that. And then it wasn't overnight. It was incremental. I mean, yeah. the Kansas win and even the Miami win to a certain degree seemed like overnight, but it was more of an incremental process. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I, I think the most important thing looking back on the season at this point was that the Thanksgiving tournament, um, you know, it, it was unexpected. And, you know, if uh, the Mustafa Amzil um, rain rain shot from the sky, you know, just takes a bounce the other way, we, we might be having a different conversation this season. But now in hindsight, I think that Thanksgiving tournament gave them the belief that they could beat anybody. And I think that's as powerful as anything, especially for a team without the experience of playing big time college basketball. Right. Because I'm sure it seeped into the locker room just as much as it did on this program or in any fan circle out there is the hey, are we any good after Austin P? And then you get back from Thanksgiving and it's hey, we are really good. Hey, we can play with anybody. And they took some more bruises. You know, they went out at out of conference play eight and five. Um, but I, I got to tell you, you know, where I kind of started to, to say, hey, maybe this team's really turning it around it was right before the George Mason game. And then that was that's kind of where I've been all year. Is it after eight and five? I said, boy, I think I think this team is is just going to struggle this year. And then they played a really tight game against VCU start conference play after two weeks off. He said, all right, well, if they can play with VCU, they can play with anybody. They rattle off four in a row, and then they they lose to George Mason, who it looked like at that time that was going to be a little bit better of a blemish than it was. But you're right. I mean, this is this has been the real definition of a roller coaster. I mean, I'm the same as you. I was even a little bit more bullish before the season started. I had them at 24 and 7. I just thought they had enough talent on paper to to kind of take the bruises in the early season and turn it around. Now, of course, I didn't predict that was going to be one and three but i i feel like 
it, it has been that true roller coaster where every time they're starting to put together a nice long winning streak, they get humbled a little bit. But I, as I'm sitting here today getting ready for the A-10 tournament, I think that's honestly been the best thing for this team is that they haven't really gotten too high. And then, of course, after one and three, it sure doesn't seem like they've gotten too low either. What's your feeling on that? I, I think that is um, it, it's a product of youth in that, um, you know, this is their first time around. Mm-hmm. It's their first time around. And, mm-hmm. you know, to, to a certain degree, um, you could say that this team – um, at times has not known what it takes to win in a tough situation. Sure. Um, and I think that, um, you know, that was the case, uh, you know, the LaSalle game, just you know, that, that, you know, it, they got hit with a bit of a, they just relaxed. They, they, I think they just relaxed just enough. Uh, and then it was death by a thousand slits in the second half. Yep. You know, yeah, it, it was, wasn't yeah. like, uh, you know, it, it's funny thing is because everyone, you know, it was a 17 nothing run, 17 nothing run. Well, it was, but it wasn't because it, it was uh, two seven point runs between media time, uh, a seven point run before a media timeout, another seven point run before another media timeout, and then uh, a three pointer, and then Dayton scored and, and tied the game back up. Yep. And it was, you know, back to square one. Uh, so it was, yeah, yeah. I don't know, it was, it, 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 but it was, it was, it was death by a thousand slits. It was, was not that big uh, knockout punch where you just felt like you were getting steamrolled and, and uh, LaSalle was just bulldozing him. And, uh, and, and I just think it, it, it snuck up on them and they went from having a, a, not having a sense of urgency to having a little bit of panic, I thought. A little mm-hmm. bit of panic, uh, you know, not, you know, I think, you know, guys just, you know, all of a sudden felt like I got to make a play. I got to make a play, which you like that, sure. which you like that, you know, you, we don't have a team where guys are running away from the ball and you're like, where'd he go? You know, why, why, why didn't he take, you know, why isn't this guy taking a shot? We got a bunch of guys out there don't want to take the shot, don't want to step up and make a play. That was not the case. But I think, you know, you had everyone was trying so hard then after they, you know, didn't have a sense of urgency, uh, they tried to flip the switch, and you can't do that. But you know, lesson learned there. I, I think, you know, I, I think they, they took something away from that to really gut out. I mean, the last two wins, what they did at Richmond, and then what they did at home. Um, I mean, those are games where one possession makes all the difference. So if if you had lost your focus, if you had lost your um, intensity for a possession, that was all it was going to take for you to lose, but they didn't. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, fun question for you. You've been on, on the sidelines for all of them this year. Um, what was what was the most the most memorable or, or your favorite game to call? I was probably going to predict the, the Richmond game and the, the dunk there by R.J. Blakeney, but what, what was the, probably the most memorable game you, you called this year? Or like I said, the one you that uh, was your favorite? Well, I mean, did, I did really like that one. You know, I, I really <laughs> did. Keith screaming um, in your ear. That because was, it was, that was, a little because bit of it was fun. unique. It was so yeah. unique. You know, yep. I had, I've never seen a got a chance to call something like that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed um, the Rhode Island game um, just because um, 
uh, it, it was so dead and they were so quiet and we were right by the Dayton <laughs> bench. So I could, I could hear the coach the whole time. So I kind of got um, a real inside look at how the game was being managed, if you will, uh, yeah. throughout that second half. And then, uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, in, in the Kansas game, that was, you know, that was terrific too, but, uh, um, you know, just, yeah, there's been a lot, you know what, this, this season has had way more highlights than it's had lowlights. It's just, you know, maybe I've been around coaches too long that I'm starting to think like them is that it's so easy to remember. You, you remember the losses more vividly than you do the wins. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's uh, true. They, they tend to eat at you and, and gnaw at you. But uh, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is there was some, I mean, I could, I could rattle off, you know, a lot of really fun, great games. I mean, uh, you know, all three games at uh, all three games at uh, in Orlando because they were all three different. And then uh, the home win over Virginia Tech. I mean, that was a, you know, that was that was a heck of a game. Beating uh, beating St. Bonaventure by eighteen at home. Yep. You know, going on the road and beating BCU by thirty. Um, you know, just just a you know drubbing Duquesne. You know, just uh, that was the thing that this team did is that, you know, maybe certainly one of the ways in which they kind of turned a corner was that not only were they winning games that they were supposed to win, that they were favored, but they were winning them decisively. Yeah, they were putting away the bad teams. They were stepping out on the court um, with better talent uh, and a better plan, and they executed the plan with better players, and consequently the results, you know, reflected that. And, and, and so that was that was a step forward for this team. Yeah, I, I said the same um, right after they beat UMass. Um, the sentiment I shared here on the show was that what was actually quite refreshing was that this team had now put together what I mean, probably 10 games in, in conference play, maybe eight where um, they were playing lesser foes and and they acted accordingly. You know, you can go through. Both George Washington games, both Duquesne games, uh, Fordham, both Rhode Island games, um, St. Joseph's, UMass. I mean, there you go. There's your 10 games right there where they played an inferior opponent and and they left no doubt. Um, that was definitely the, the most surprising thing to me as we were going down conference play because this team is so young and they didn't have the experience doing that. Um, I think, you know, maybe that second Rhode Island game, they had to gut out a little bit more. Oh, I guess, yeah, both of them kind of were, were close. They were defensive battles because that's kind of how Rhode Island's been playing this year is they're going to ugly it up on defense. Um, but point notwithstanding, it, it really was nice to see this team kind of grow against lesser foes because typically, you know, as well as anybody that those are the games that you get tripped up on as a young team. And, you know, I think people are probably yelling at me right right now through the radio, like, oh, what about LaSalle? And I just keep reminding him that, you know, had they had Kamara, there really is any doubt in my mind that they would have pulled that game out. Um, but you're right. I think as we now have the entire season in hindsight, there were a lot more highlights than lowlights after the, the one and three start. And I think that anybody would be um, it, you'd be making an uphill argument to say that it wasn't enjoyable because you know, regardless of where you were as a fan after one and three, I guarantee you weren't thinking that they were going to finish 14 and four in the league and, and have the two seed that that's heading into the a 10 tournament. So, um, here we are. I mean, you know, that was why I figured it was a good time to, to talk as the, 
uh, A10 tournaments upon us here coming up. So with that in mind, and before you know, I kind of flip the script a little bit to what the Flyers have to do this upcoming weekend, uh, I had a trivia question for you. And if you don't know this, then, then I've really stumped the top of the mountain uh, of, uh, of Dayton Twitter knowledge knowers. So um, hit the music and we'll do some trivia. Larry, my question to you is there are two active A-10 teams that Dayton has never played in the A-10 tournament. Who are the two active teams? That they have never played in the A-10 tournament. Correct. Um, one easier than the other, I'll say that. One easier than the other. Um, uh, George Mason. That's one. And I do believe uh, I like this. I, I can, I can hear the wheels spinning. I've got it down to two. I've got it down to two. And um, I'm going to go with LaSalle. That's it. George Mason and LaSalle. I was actually surprised to find that out myself since LaSalle, of course, has been in the A-10 the entire time that Dayton has. Uh, George Mason a little bit easier since they've only been in the league since 2014. Uh, but, yeah, I, I started going back through the stats the other day. Uh, I wanted to find out how many teams uh, have taken down Dayton since they held the trophy in 2003. And uh, and they've lost to a lot of different teams. Um, Xavier, of course, the most. They're 1-5 against the Musketeers in the A-10 tournament. And then uh, the other two foes that have taken them down the most are St. Joe's. Three losses against them. And then VCU three times as well. Flyers, of course, lost in the title game in 2004, 2011, and most recently in 2015. Um, you know, hate to say it, or I love to say it, but there is a certain amount of optimism, I think, in the fan base right now, just given the last two games and how they've bounced back against LaSalle. Um, sports books are, are echoing that same sentiment. Dayton is the favorite going into D.C. despite being the two seed on sports books around the country. And so, you know, my question to you isn't the obvious one, Larry. I think we both know that this team is capable of winning this weekend and winning three games in three days because they've already done it. So my question's a little bit more pointed. What does this team have to do on the floor to raise that trophy on Sunday afternoon? Well, they've got to get great, great bench play. Um, They've got to get. I mean, Kobe Brea just needs to be what he's been, um, and 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 the same with Amseal. Amseal, um, it just you know give them give good minutes, productive minutes, rebound the basketball, defend, um, make open shots. Uh, Kobe Brea's got to be a scoring threat off the bench. So they've got to get good bench play out of those guys. And um, you know what, Moo's going to have to give. Moose going to have to play maybe maybe three minutes a game, but those could be very important uh, three minutes of rest for for Deuce. Mm-hmm. Um, so that so I think the bench uh, production, the bench contribution, is is really going to be important to to win three games in three days. Yeah, and they should have the crowd behind them in D.C. Uh, you mentioned it earlier on the show. Is that? Um, one of my favorite things about this team, and maybe it's because, you know, Malachi had watched his brother for four years kind of do this. And by the time 
Scucci and Kyle and Kendall and Cook, by the time those guys were seniors, they really understood the importance of the home crowd. Um, but yeah, I'm very interested to see what the turnout is here in DC. Um, if memory serves, this is the second time we've played the A10 tournament. There is that right? Yes. Yeah. Second the first time. was in uh, was in uh, was in AG's first year, uh, right. which would have been uh, you know 2018. 2018. Yeah. Um, but it's it's one of my favorite things about this team is that they really get energized by the crowd and. What'll be a, a mostly empty arena comparative to the size. I do think that the Dayton fans can really make a difference. Number one and number two, we did kind of get the that nice comfy start time. Um, I don't know about you, but I always hate when the team plays that early game, and they've done it. I want to say like what, three times in the last couple of years. They played Davidson early in Pittsburgh. They played early on a Thursday against VCU in that that tournament you mentioned in 2018. So this is going to be the I guess they the last time they had St. Louis, uh, they played that as a, as a night game. That was 2019 season. So I think a lot of things do line up for the Flyers, and thankfully they got that two seed out after the win on Saturday. But, um, boy, the path really is there, isn't it? I mean, you can kind of see it, and it, it feels like the entirety of this weekend is going to come down to a Saturday matchup with VCU, doesn't it? It, it. I mean, I, I don't want to get that far ahead, but I, I think <laughs> yeah, no. you know, yeah, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be a liar if I wasn't thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, that's um, what I brought it up. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I. But I think sometimes the way I look at it is okay. Who in this field right now is is sitting? You know, doing their podcast or or posting on their Twitter feed saying that they'd really like to play the Dayton Flyers. <laughs> I think they're few and far between, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I just think that this is a team right now that if, if, if teams are honest with themselves, they're saying, boy, sure. We don't want to play. Sure. Don't want to face Dayton. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Davidson, I think Davidson would be the only one to say it because it would mean that they'd be in the championship game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there's going to be a certain amount of revenge to, to come after that. I mean, I'm sure they got a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth um, after that game there on Saturday. But um, before the fans traveling to DC, do you, do you have any favorite spots, Larry, that you like to frequent when you go to DC? You know, um, not so much anymore. I mean, uh, at one point in time, we'd, we'd hit the old Ebbett Grill, which was kind of a uh, you know, kind of an historic uh, place. It was fairly close to the White House. Uh, there used to be a place uh, close to where we would stay, Blackies, and then there was the Brooks Keller, um, which is um, not too far from GW. And it was, um, you know, th th this was it, it, Brooks Keller. Going back to my college days, when it was a phenomena there that they had beers from all over the world and all over the country at a time when that just does it that just didn't happen you yeah. know now you can go in any place and they've got a big beer selection so yeah i don't know i mean that's there's no uh there's no favorite haunts but uh i'll i'll run into something that's right yeah and I'll, I'll be there with you i'll get there friday afternoon hopefully uh my flight lands in time i pushed it back a little bit once i found out that we were getting that 6 p.m game so uh i'm looking forward to getting down there with the flyer faithful looking forward to hopefully running into you and uh who's calling the games with you this weekend is it, uh, is it josh josh is yeah josh is working with me uh this week and then uh, uh keith will be back for the ncaa tournament games 
There you go. That's exactly right. <laughs> we can uh, we can certainly wrap things up there, Larry. It's always great to have you on. I always give every guest on this show final thoughts before we close things down. So, what are uh, your final thoughts for Flyer Nation tonight? And um, you know, I know you got the show coming up tonight with with Coach Ag, but uh, my program stands alone. You can listen to it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday on your way to the arena. So, uh, what do you have for fans that are going to be listening to this one throughout the week? Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna close with a thought that I that that occurred to me after the game on Saturday, and in thinking about how far this team has come, and that is the ability to play in the moment, where what you're doing right now isn't affected by what happened a play ago or two plays ago or three plays ago, and for a young team to do that, I, I think it's remarkable, and I'll, I'll cite two incidents that took place in Saturday's game. Um, Kobe Elvis is 0 for 5 from three-point range, not having a good shooting day. Mm -hmm. But that didn't affect the sixth three he took, which was good and was tied tied the ball game up at the time. And Kobe Brea has been beating himself up since missing what could have been a game-winning shot at LaSalle, but he didn't hesitate to pull the trigger and hit the game-winning shot against Davidson. So um, a team that has come a long way, and one of the ways in which they've done so is that they play in the moment, and that's what it's going to take to be able to win three games in three days. You heard it right there from the voice of the Flyers himself. You stay in the moment. Keep everything in front of you. Play the game that is right in front of you and the flyers could potentially be cutting down those nets on Sunday afternoon and punch that auto bid into the NCAA tournament six o'clock start in Washington DC. If you're going to be there, shout out, say, Hey, have a beer with me. I'll be there. Hopefully we'll be there all weekend. I don't want to catch an early flight out. And I know you don't either. Um, so signing off for the regular season and hopefully we get to do this again with more Dayton Flyers basketball to talk about on the other side of the weekend Uh, but for Larry Hanskin I'm Sully signing off one more time for talking out loud and I'll take you out with some ACDC tonight because everyone needed a reminder that it is indeed a long way to the top two rules all weekend wear red, be loud we'll catch you next time
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.